0: Okay, <clears throat> so if you've been uh, in class since, I guess, I guess since we started class back, you know we were studying in the Gospel of John. We have completed that study as of last week, and now we're going to begin a study on, on baptism uh, and look into it, and I know you've probably had quite a bit of study on baptism before, but there's always something new that you, you may not have remembered, may not, not may have heard before, Maybe you can see something in the study that, uh, that applies to you that might help you in your, in your daily walk, in your daily walk in the light, perhaps in your daily discussions with other people uh, who might not believe the same things that you do. So we're going to begin a study of baptism, and we're going to talk about today, what 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 is that? Right, right before Jesus sent to heaven, he... he came out with a great commission, did he not? In fact, let's turn over to Matthew 28 and just read that. Matthew 28 and verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen." Here, Jesus gives baptism as part of the Great Commission, something for the disciples to do, right? Something for them to uh, carry out in their mission to spread the gospel to the world. Turn over to Mark chapter 16, and let's read a similar verse or two there. Mark 16, beginning in verse uh, 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. In these places we notice the mention of baptism by Jesus. In Matthew it's more about the process of making disciples. and Mark it's more related toward salvation, right? In both cases we're talking about Jesus commanding the disciples to do something. Go out spread the word, spread the gospel, the good news that he uh, died for their sins, that he gives hope to those who have no hope, that he gives life to those who have no life. Apparently, baptism was a pretty big part of that, right? Why else would he mention that? Why, Why would he bring that up in the Great Commission, the Great Command to go out and tell others about what he had done? Well. Whatever the purpose for it, it was pretty important, right? Because he did command it. It was commanded in both of these uh, passages here, similar passages, basically the same command, but a different take on them. What was he talking about here? What what is this baptism? What, What is he telling them to do? Was he telling them that they need to go out and immerse people in water? Or was he telling them they need to just sprinkle some water on their heads? Or was he telling them they need to pour water out of a pitcher on their their heads or bodies? And what was this baptism in? Was it a baptism in water? Or was it a baptism in the Spirit? What was it? What was the purpose? Was it for remission of sin? Or was it because of they had already been saved? They had already had their sins remitted. Is it to be saved? Or is it a public confession of faith having already been saved? few questions we have that also something that gets asked a lot is who who should be baptized who would be should be baptized what's what's the purpose what's the means of it and who should it be babies infants should they be baptized after all they're coming into a dark sinful world right or should it just be anybody can anybody be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ Lord Savior is there ever a need, another question we might ask, to be baptized again? What if I was baptized as an infant? Should I be baptized again? What if I was baptized for the wrong reason? Right? What if I have sinned greatly after being baptized? Many questions that people ask. And of course, we've talked about that many times. Just because we're baptized doesn't mean we're going to stop sinning. Right? We're not perfect. We're human beings. There's only one that lives without sin. What about that? What do we do if we feel like we've lost our salvation if we've stepped back, if we've backslid, right? So we hope to answer some of these questions, but not all, related to this, during this series that we're gonna be studying. And since it was commanded by Christ, it's certainly worthy of consideration, is it not? I mean, have you ever been in a discussion with someone that didn't believe the same way you did, and they act like baptism no big deal, It's nothing, you know, what's the big deal? You know, it's all about the faith. Yeah, Jesus commanded it in the commission, right? It seems to me there's a much more importance to it than some would say, right? Well, our intent through this study is to glean from the Bible what is actually taught on the subject. We want to try to see what the word actually says. We're not going to listen to a creed. We're not going to listen to what other people say about it. We're gonna look at the scripture, right? Because remember last week we talked about our standard of truth. Brother Bill back there said we had to have a standard, right? And our standard is this word right here, right? So if we're going to have a standard of truth, we need to go there and find the truth, don't we? We need to find out what it says about what baptism is all about. We need to have attitude of the Bereans. Acts 17, remember what it was said there? They received the word with readiness, and then they went and searched the scriptures to see if what the people were saying was true, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna to try to do that anyway. And today we're gonna to look at how the apostles carry this out in the commission that Jesus gave them. Let's turn over to Acts 2, of course. We're gonna begin right at the day of Pentecost and just see what was being said about baptism at the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, and we're gonna bend right there uh, in verse uh, 38. Actually, let's start at 36. Peter's giving the great sermon, of course, The people there, we know, are hearing in their language, right? The miraculous spirit has come. Uh, The miracles that the uh, the spirit has come—they're hearing a miraculous event, hearing in their own language, because people from all around had come for Pentecost, right? And he says in verse 36, "Let all house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ." Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. All right. Here we have the day of Pentecost. Church is established. The first gospel sermon ever preached by Peter and the and, disciples and the, disciple and the uh, other apostles. Peter commanded the people to do what? Be baptized, why? For the remission of sin. What exhorting this audience to be saved, the response was for many to be baptized. Let's read on, verse 40. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So, what does Peter say? This Jesus whom you crucified was made both Lord and Christ. They're pricked to the heart. They understand they did something wrong. They were sinful. They understand they are sinners. And without God, without the sacrifice that Jesus made, they have no hope. Wages of sin or death, and that's all they got to look forward to. Well, it's interesting how this is worded, and some would say different things about how this is worded. For instance, we read there that we says repent and let each and every one be baptized for the remission of sin. All right. Now, in English word for, we can use that word in a couple of ways. Right? We can say for, in other words, it's a it's. We're doing something in order to gain something, in order to get some result, in order to have some favor. But it could also be used to say, because of, right? In other words, you could say, remission of sins, because of I'm already saved, right? And some might say that's the way that's worded. Well, let's look at a few things about that. First of all, turn over to Matthew chapter 26. I want you to read this. Matthew 26, and let's go down to, uh, oh, let's start with verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. And he's instituting the Lord's Supper, right? For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed... For many, for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I wanted you to notice the phrase that he used there, for the remission of sins. This wine they're going to drink representing the blood that was shed for the remission of sins. Same phrase, same word. And could he have shed his blood because they already had? remission of sin don't think so that wouldn't make any sense would it you can pretty much tell from the context of that verse that that four is in, of in uh, unto right in order to in order to gain remission of sins his blood was shed in order to gain remission of sins so when jesus said his blood would be shed for many he was saying that's going to result in salvation that's going to result in being cleansed. Clearly, Jesus meant in order to to provide that remission of sin. So that's a phrase. Now you say, well, so what? That doesn't mean you couldn't use for in a different way in Acts 2.38, right? Well, with rare exception, the Greek word ice E-I-S, is translated for, means unto or in order to. On rare occasions, it can be used to say because of but in almost any writing you see in the Greek, it's gonna be referring unto. Not also be baptized is joined in the phrase there. I'm getting a little grammatical here, but I want you to see this. We have a conjunction, right? And, and is a conjunction. For those of us who grew up in the 70s, you remember the Saturday morning cartoons when the conjunction junctions would come on? Yeah, I could still sing, conjunction, junction, what's your function? Y'all remember that? Yeah, and is a conjunction. We learned that from grammar school, from our English classes, right? And it connects two subjects. Connects two subjects that are going to be the references for a prepositional phrase, and for is a preposition, right? It begins a prepositional phrase. Remember that? Remember that when you had to do the, what do you call those things, the grammatical things where you had to line things out? No, I can't remember what you call it now. What was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you teachers know that that stuff. But you had to do that, right? English was my worst subject. I was good in math and science, not English. But I learned about conjunctions probably from watching the cartoons on Saturday morning. Yeah, it means the phrases, the two subjects are put together in order to get remission of sins. So he's saying, repent and let each and every one of you be baptized in order to have remission of sins. Some would say, oh, no, 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 no. Baptism has nothing to do with that. He's really saying because you're already saved. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't you have to repent to be saved? And remember what repentance is, is our change of heart, our change of mind from sin, turning from sin, right? If we just keep on sinning, we don't have salvation, do we? If we just keep on in our lives, the way I know we're going to sin, but there has to be a change of heart toward it. A godly sorrow toward sin becomes a transformational process. And we've talked about that, how we are constantly being transformed into the image of Christ as we live our lives in the light. Yes, sir, Mr. Bill. At this time, right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Why do I need this? Yeah, exactly. Good point. So Brother Bill's talking about, at this time, you had John who had been baptizing in the wilderness, right? He had disciples, the same thing. But that was a different baptism than baptism of Jesus. Baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And that's a great statement because we are going to look at that, not today, but in our study of baptism. But perfect point. Yes, And he's even saying in today, you could do that, right? Yes, sir. right jim's mentioning that example we do have an example as bill was talking about of someone who was baptized in the baptism of john who was rebaptized. baptized yes ma'am right very good point debbie debbie did has uh you haven't been in the, in the prison lately, but in the past, when they were still able to go into the prisons, you had to talk a lot about this because you had a lot of people in the prison, uh, ladies in the prison, who were baptized for different reasons, right? And you talk about John baptism, absolutely. And that doesn't put you into Christ, absolutely. Well, <laughs> we're going to get into that eventually, not, not necessarily today, but we're all going to talk about that uh, in this study. But today, I want you to understand how those phrases work. Now, I know we can get into the grammar, and you say, well, oh, what's the grammar? It's really the context, and it is. You gotta know the context of what's going on there, but to understand what they were telling people who would've understood this probably better than we can now, right, because they were there at the time, and, the, and of course, they could've asked the very question, do you, do you mean we have to be baptized for salvation? You know, could kid very gone to Peter and asked him that, right? So, these are things that we need to map out look at in our study of this. So, we've talked about the conjunction, we've talked about the preposition for, in order to. How was these things carried out by Peter, right? How were these things carried out in the actual events that occur? Let's look at another person that uh, Peter preached to in Acts 10. Actually, another person and his family. Acts 10 uh, and verse, let's go to verse 44. And you know this story, we've talked about this actually when we went through the conversions in Acts, oh, I don't know, a couple of years ago maybe in our study. But this is the conversion of Cornelius and his household. In verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also for they had heard them speak with tongues and magnify God and then notice his next two verses then Peter answered can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord and then they asked him to stay a few days so here we have the conversion of Cornelius remember Peter had had the vision right he was not going to the Gentiles he was only preaching to the Jews He has the vision to say, go to Cornelius' house. There's some there that need to hear the gospel. Devout man. Cornelius was a centurion, the Roman army, Gentile. Devout man. But he didn't know the gospel. He had to be preached the gospel. And what was part of that preaching the gospel? That they needed to be baptized in water. We see here that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit before he even started speaking. Right? Have you ever heard anybody say to you, Cornelius was saved as soon as he got the Holy Spirit? Because we have passages that talk about we know we are saved because we have the Spirit. But this, example, this is an example to Peter to say, look, the Spirit is now going upon the Gentiles just as much as it's going on the Jews. And what does Peter say? Well, then who can forbid water? You see, they still had to be baptized. If he was already saved, what would be the point in being baptized, right? What's the point? We know that's permission of sins. He still had to do it. So we're gonna have this, not gonna get into this one today, but we will talk about this a later. Was Cornelius actually saved when he received the Spirit? <clears throat> Another example though of Peter speaking to them and teaching them about baptism and the part we have in water baptism. At the least, we can say Peter's preaching was in harmony, right? With the Great Commission the statements that we just read in Matthew 28 and Mark 16. Going to all the world, teaching and baptizing them, making disciples of those in the world. That's what he's doing here. He's preaching the gospel, and part of that gospel is they needed to be baptized. They had to do something, and of course, we're gonna get into that a little bit later too, where their baptism is really a work. You've probably heard that before. You know, salvation is a free gift. You can't buy it, you can't purchase it, you can't earn it. No, and we're gonna talk about that later on. At the least, though, we can see Peter carrying out this, uh, uh, the Great Commission. Let's look at another one. Turn over to Acts chapter eight. And we're gonna look at uh, Philip, who was not an apostle, by the way, but we read about him carrying out the Great Commission. And who is he carrying that to? Well, the Samaritans. Chapter 8, let's just begin in verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. I mean, now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution... This is about Stephen, by the way. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church... Uh, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word, and I want you to see that. Because of that persecution, the gospel was being spread. So even though the Christians were suffering, the good news was going out to all the world. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed and there was great joy in that city and then go down to verse 12 We should read that but when they believed when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ both men and women were baptized so here we have one who is not an apostle, who's preaching Christ. Do remember he was one of the first deacons that was set up? And what was the response to what Philip was saying? When they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Again, we have another example here of the Great Commission being carried out, and the response to that Great Commission was to be baptized. Here's another. How about we go on down to uh, verse uh, 30. Let's see. Let's go down to verse 27, actually. Read on. So he rose and went. This is Philip again. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him. And heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and said, "Do you understand what you're reading?" And he said, "How can I, unless someone guides me?" And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this: "He was led as a sheep, a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare this? And who and who will declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth?" So the eunuch answered Philip and said, "I ask you." Of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him now when they came up out of the water the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing but Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Caesarea Philip meeting up with the Ethiopian eunuch and again he preaches Christ and what's the response well the eunuch gives it to us here is water what hinders me from being baptized And then you notice they went down into the water and they came up out of the water. Interesting phrases there. Philip preached Jesus, not only by telling them about Jesus, but also what he commanded in the Great Commission. Again, we see another example. Philip, not an apostle, carrying out the Great Commission. Baptism was an immediate result of such preaching. So this is not surprising, right? It should be. We have Jesus statements that carry this out. Of you know, immediately, right? It should be. It should be something we do without delay. Well, let's look at one more apostle. Turn over to Acts uh, chapter sixteen, and we're going to look at preaching in the uh, work of apostle Paul. Particularly, we're going to look at today the conversion of Lydia. Beginning in 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, She begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now, we studied back when we were looking at the conversion in Acts that Lydia was a proselytized uh, Jew. She was a Gentile living in Philippi, but she was a devout woman. She was already practicing the practices of the Jews, practicing Judaism. They would get down to the river and, and, uh, and... be devout and carry out the the practices of Jews. Paul would go down because he knew they were there and preached the gospel to them. What did she do? She was baptized, right? As part of the Great Commission, Paul preached the gospel to these women, particularly Lydia. What was Lydia's response? She was baptized. And notice in verse 15 there, she says, if you've judged me to be faithful, then come to my home." Obviously Lydia had a little wealth, you know. She was was a merchant. She had her own home. She had a household, servants and so forth. What does that mean when she says, if you judge me to be faithful? Well, how do we know when someone's a Christian? How do we know outwardly that they have obeyed the gospel? By obeying the command, right? The command to be baptized. So we know that she was baptized to show that she was faithful. She was baptized for the remission of her sins. Again, she's following that command that the Lord gave in the Great Commission. Another, another example in chapter 16 there. Let's move down to, uh, let's move down, I think verse, uh, let's go to verse 29, uh, 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke of the of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Here we have another example. Paul preaching. Paul and Silas, the Philippian jailer, Right. I know you know the story. You've studied it many times. But we have another example of someone who didn't know the gospel who heard it and immediately was baptized. You see, part of that story being told, part of that gospel being preached was they needed to be baptized for the remission of their sins. We don't have that word for word right here. But you can glean that from what happened. And notice it was quick. Notice it was immediate. In fact, every detailed example of a conversion in the book of Acts, people are baptized. When? Immediately. After one lesson. That's all it took. It didn't have to have a monthly Bible study, several weeks. No. Just had to do it then. One lesson. If a person believes They're ready. They don't have to know everything about the gospel. They don't have to know everything about living a life as a Christian. Oh, sure, they need to grow into that. That's got to be part of their walk. But when you believe, man, it's time to obey. It's time to put on Christ in baptism. One more example here before we finish, and that's in the conversion of Paul himself. And this is the best because I have gotten more discussions with folks. They don't believe baptism necessary from the conversions of Paul. Turn over to Acts 22. And I would bet some of you have too. Acts 22. And let's begin in uh, let's see, verse, let's start with verse 10. I can get there. Acts verse 9. This is Paul recounting his conversion. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid. But they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I cannot see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the same hour looked up to him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You see, Paul's recounting his conversion we have the uh, reference to Ananias who came to see and he says arise and be baptized wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord now don't get me wrong baptism in itself does not wash away our sins we are cleansed by the blood of Christ it's a sacrifice that that is a, that is the most important but through that baptism we are buried with him in Romans 6 raised to new life we come in contact with that blood and we become Christians, children of God. So we have this example that Paul talks about. I can remember being in discussions with people that would tell me, well, Acts 22, he's, he's already saved because Ananias called him a brother. Well, wait a minute. How can you say that when he's still got to wash away his sins? It doesn't make any sense. I had someone else tell me one time, well, arise and be baptized, wash away your, your sins is different than calling on the name of the Lord. So he's, he's saved when he called on the name of the Lord, uh, washing away sins has nothing to do with being baptized again you can try to wordsmith that any way you want to but Paul's conversion happened when he was baptized yes sir That's a good point. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. Curtis talking about that. The Spirit was given out. This is the first time that's been given out to all those Jews and Gentiles alike to bring them into an understanding of the gospel. And uh, baptism was part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Part of Acts 2.38, where we we're talking about it. repent and be baptized. It was all part of that. Yes, absolutely. So we have this example of Paul giving his uh, example of being converted. And notice he says, as, as I said, he he's told to rise and be baptized, washing away his sins. <coughs> Go back to Acts chapter 9, and let's look at uh, the account of his uh, conversion where we read it there. You have three accounts of it, actually, in Acts. Well, let's go back to Acts chapter 9 and just read there. And I want you to notice the amount of time from when he uh, saw the light, he was blinded, and when he was actually saved. Beginning in verse 1, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? There's that thing again, right? What must me to do? What do you want me to do? What can we do? He's pricked to the heart. Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Notice he didn't say anything about being baptized yet. He just says, Go into the city, and you're going to be told. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days, wait, how long? He was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then, answered, then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Lord said to him, "Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake." And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, "Brother Saul, there's that brother thing again." The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. In this example, we have Saul seeing the light. Jesus is telling him. We're asking why are you persecuting him? Do you think... Saul believed Jesus Christ who he was at that point doesn't actually say that but if I saw a lie and I was blinded I think I'm gonna believe he is Jesus Christ if that's who he says he is or God or some super being but then there was three days before he's actually met with an Ananias right in Acts 22 Ananias tells him to wash away his sins so, apparently for those three days, even though he's praying, fasting, believing, he's not saved. Interesting. Interesting. Look at that. He wasn't saved until he washed away his way of sins through baptism. Yes, sir. absolutely <laughs> well that that's pat just messing with you i think but yeah <laughs> kind of alluded to that too. We know that in First Corinthians 12 and 13 that the miracles have ceased. The Spirit had its purpose for the miracles. The spirit I don't mean to say the spirit doesn't still exist. It does exist in us. But the miracles have ceased. We know that first Corinthians 12 and thirteen. The perfect has come. We have the canon of scripture. That's all we need now. And that's a very good point. We don't have the visions, the miracles, the miraculous things. Doesn't mean God does not uh, have his uh, providence in our lives. Doesn't mean he couldn't do that if he wanted to but that's not the way it works anymore. We know that from scripture, absolutely. Okay, in these examples of conversion, we need, we need to understand that baptism is shown to be very important, right? In the case of each conversion, described in detail, baptism's mentioned, it's immediately done, and it's part of that gospel commission, gospel preaching. What should be proclaimed regarding gospel, uh, baptism? Same as Acts 2.38. Repent and let each and every one of you be baptized for the remission of sins, right? Acts 22.16, Paul, we know, was washed away the sins, involved water from from the Ethiopian eunuch, the example there, and it was done immediately, we know from the Philippian jailer, with no delay. This will certainly suggest that baptism is a necessary part of the salvation plan. You've heard it from many others that say baptism doesn't mean anything, right? Well, they need to look at the scriptures. They need to understand what Acts has to say. All right, we're gonna be studying this for several weeks. We'll get into more things in more detail. I know some of you mentioned some things that we'll be looking at. I hope it's a good study. I hope you've gotten something from this. Uh, Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.